0: South Africa is a nation in crisis, unreliable power supply is choking the economy, threatening businesses and wreaking havoc in the lives of ordinary citizens. Over the past decade, load shedding has become part of daily life in the country, but electricity insecurity is now reaching unprecedented levels. According to the CSIR, 2021 was the most intensive year of load shedding to date, and so far in 2022, with half the year still to go, we have already experienced 90% of 2021's total load-shedding hours. The prospects for our society and our economy, should things continue this way, or heaven forbid, worsen, are nothing short of terrifying. So, How do we get to this untenable state? How worried should we be? And what can be done to bring it back from the brink of a looming catastrophe? This is No Ordinary Wednesday, an in-depth look at events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Welcome, I'm Jeremy Max. In this Power Edition episode, we examine the reasons for this spiraling power crisis, count the costs and consider long-term effects and possible solutions. Our guests are ESCOM spokesperson Sikunati Mantancha, Investec Treasury economist Tertia Jacobs, and transactor at Investec's power and infrastructure finance team Bernard Heldenhaus. To all three of you, a very warm welcome. Okay, Sukunati, let's switch the lights on with you as we uh, discuss this particular issue following an extended period of stage six load shedding. What do the next couple of weeks look like in South Africa? Are you able to give us any determination?
1: Thanks, Jeremy. As for switching the lights on in the middle of load shedding. I unfortunately won't be able to give you what you want to hear, which is great news or more upbeat news about the situation particularly in the short space of time we have allowed me 14 days or so. The reality is during the strike season, we have not been able to do as much maintenance. This is routine maintenance. This is attending to breakdowns that would need swift attention. This would require a few weeks to bring us to pre-strike levels. And even the pre-strike level of the system is not as good because let's acknowledge this. ESCOM was already load shedding before the strike itself. We have just had to ramp up the stage of load shedding in order to accommodate these breakdowns that
0: would occur. Strike action was always a possibility. Surely ESCOM should have foreseen this and had better contingency plans in place.
1: Strike action at ESCOM, an essential services company, is legally not permitted. Yes, we have had uh, industrial action in the past. And for all the contingency you could have made, one that you cannot get away from is that in a country where the respect for the rule of law is non-existent, there is not much you can do to prevent people blocking the roads as they do on a daily basis. There is not much you can do to prevent people from intimidating their colleagues who actually want to work. Some of our colleagues who braved the conditions and tried to go to work and those that did go to work in order to keep the lights running for you and I to fulfill their obligation to the people of South Africa have been intimidated. While you are busy at the power station working and your relatives get phone calls, reminding them where you are and they know where they live. And, of course, we have also shared incidents of homes being attacked, petrol bombed, people being physically attacked and being physically obstructed from getting to power stations. Yes, we did uh, make contingency plans and prepared with the security forces, but we did get this kind of intimidation, and that could not completely be avoided. As I have said, the main reason, is that there really are no incentives for people to obey the law in this country.
0: I'm hearing a note of almost desperation in your voice when you say something like that.
1: It very well may be, Jeremy. The reality is all of us, ESCOM included, operate within an ecosystem where you cannot really rely on the law enforcement agencies to do their job as efficiently and as well as they should you will then have these kinds of disturbances, and we have had these. And you know, over the years, ESCOM has laid 104 criminal charges for corruption, for fraud, for money laundering. We have only had one set of arrests in one minor case, which is going through the courts. So I don't think you would be surprised if I'm less than optimistic on that score.
0: Investec Treasury Economist, Tersha Jacobs, let me bring you into the conversation as you digesting those very sober words from uh, Sikunati. How are you looking at it? And I'm assuming to calculate the economic consequence for this country is very difficult.
2: Jeremy, I think the point here is, is that in the second quarter, we have seen a number of confidence surveys already deteriorating in the cost of an increase in the fuel price, another round of utility rates that's coming in July. We had the KZN flooding. There already has been load shedding in April and May and part of June. As Sikonati pointed out, the load shedding happened before this illegal strike. So with this moving on to stage six now, I think is in a way an inflection point because it's like a cumulative dynamic a negative flow of news that's being added to an already challenging operational environment. The consequences, you know, you will get your direct consequences where we see there's are knock To productivity with traffic lights that are not working. You know, it's like stop go production processes for many companies. You know, even if you own a generator, it's quite costly to run it with a diesel price at record high levels. But the indirect effect, I think, is a concern because, you know, who is really going to be willing to increase fixed investment? So I think this is going to play out in more of a wait and see dynamic.
0: But the reality, Tertia, is we don't have that kind of luxury to wait and see, do we?
2: Yes. And for how long have we been saying we've been calling government for more urgent intervention? There have been some positive news flow, for example, the auctioning of data spectrum. But in terms of the energy crisis, you know, with renewable energies, you know, one of the dynamics we're watching, for example, is the environmental court ruling now on car power ship. I think it's on the 15th of July because, you know, we only had 150 megawatts of this 2000 emergency power delivered so far. So any new renewable energy and our colleague Bernard is going to touch on it, you know, it can take about two to three years to implement. So this shortfall of about five, six, 6,000 megawatts will stay with us for at least two years.
0: Well, Bernard Geldenhuis, let me bring you into the conversation then from Investex power and infrastructure finance team. The reality of the situation is we're simply not adding new generation capacity fast enough to compensate for coal-powered fire stations,
3: are we? Yes, that is the case. Um, although with REAP5 being awarded, you know, the preferred bidders in October 2021, we're expecting to see 2,655 megawatts of wind and solar coming online in the next 24 to 28 months. As Tersha mentioned, the RMIPP program, The preferred bidders there were awarded in June 21 with 2,000 megawatts coming online. In the near future, only 150 megawatts of PPAs have been signed with the balance of the projects predominantly being car powership being in progress. We're seeing REAP6 being bid in August 2021, the 11th. What is interesting is that the maximum project sizes have now been increased to 240 megawatts, which will bring economies of scale and hopefully uh, competitive tariffs from that. Another positive was around the 100 megawatt exemption for facilities producing up to 100 megawatt, which are now able to sell to customers without getting a license. What is very interesting, if you look at Australia as a test case, and um, they've got 16 gigawatts of rooftop solar installed across the country just in the last three years. 2020, they added 3 gigawatts. 2021, they added 3.2 gigawatts, and 20. 22, they forecasted to put two and a half gigawatts on the grid, which is phenomenal and something that I think we can achieve in this country.
0: But we can't really tether our future to the plans that you've just outlined, because as Tersha rightly points out, uh, all of this has got a time lag attached to it. It's uh, solutions in the immediacy that we need.
3: Yeah, I think part of the reason for that, Jeremy, is there's a lot of external factors impacting, for instance, Mm. the, the risk mitigation program, where we've seen a tremendous spike in project costs. And this is really due to COVID, the war in Ukraine, there's chip shortages. So those things are slowly filtering through into the project costs associated with these projects. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but these projects are being held to the tariff that they've bid. So that is a challenge being experienced by them. Another issue that these projects are facing is around grid constraints, especially in the Northern Cape where we've got the best solar resource probably in the world. Environmental approvals are taking its time and there is local content requirements being specified by the DTI with the industry in that delay between around three and a half and round four where the industry is kind of lagging and that industry needs to resurrect itself going forward.
0: So Sekunati, that firmly puts the ball back in ESCOM's court. South Africans obviously then looking for any glimmer of hope right now. Are you able to share any developments currently underway at ESCOM that could reverse what seems to be a continuing decline in electricity production?
1: Jeremy, in the immediate term, the developments are those that I referred to earlier, that ESCOM has to uh, get the the workers back on site and to do what can be done to restore the system to its pre-strike levels as soon as possible. And that will take a few weeks at least. That, though, does not answer the main question uh, because we still were load even for the strike as I indicated earlier. What ESCOM is doing about that is maintaining and make sure to bring online uh, generating units to complete the Kusile power station and that uh, the last unit of those will be in commercial operation only during May 2024. That will have brought an additional 1,600 megawatts in total. Uh, you you do not have any new projects before then uh, within ESCOM. And uh, what ESCOM has done, though, within the limitation, remember now the law has been adjusted that you can generate your own power uh, 100 megawatts and less. ESCOM has made available 40,000 hectares of land in its power stations in the Mpumalanga province in particular. And we have had success within a month. ESCOM is able to sign contracts with uh, investors who will, build 1,800 megawatts capacity only on 10% of that land, on about 4,000 hectares. That tells you we still have another 86,000 hectares to go and the next rounds will be negotiated in the coming months. So we are having uh, these investors building 1,800 megawatts of capacity, which is half a mid-sized ESCOM power station, and this will come at no cost to the taxpayer and at no cost to ESCOM. However, it will still take at least about 18 months from the date the argument is signed for the power to to, to start coming online. Now, the reality is that South Africa cannot only look at ESCOM to provide the solution. The solution lies elsewhere. By law, I will repeat this. The Department of Mineral Resources and Energy is the only one in the Republic of South Africa that can permit anyone to build a power station. That is by law. Even if ESCOM wanted to build a power station, it still requests a license from the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. That is where all the projects will come from. We spoke earlier about the 150 megawatts in the emergency RPP program that has been signed. That will only come through over the next two years, and all the bid programs are handled by that department. I hope that answers your question.
0: It does answer the question. What I also want to ask you is, uh, given the short to medium term solutions that you're tabling, given the work that ESCOM is currently doing right now, notwithstanding the fact that it is going to take some time to uh, close the lag because of the industrial action, are you confident of a degree of stability going forward or would you start looking at stage eight and beyond?
1: We are quite confident that a degree of stability will come in starting in the third week of July. That's because the unit unit two of the Quebec power station, which is the biggest generating unit in this country at 930 megawatts, will be connected. And that on its own will shave off one stage of load shedding. And the nuclear power station is the most reliable of Eskom's fleet. It will stay online for 18 to 24 months without any interruption and as it has done previously so that one will reduce some load shedding we are having two units at kusile that are currently broken at this point they should be coming online in the next few days that's again each of those delivers 720 megawatts uh, to the grid. So you, you are talking about two more stages of load shedding that will be shaved off when those units are up. And of course, the maintenance operations are ongoing, particularly when you have all the workforce back. We will, during 2024, also get Unit 4 of the Midupi Power Station returning to service after the explosion that happened in September in 2021. So there is some stability coming. The reality, though, is that with the current infrastructure, we cannot talk of an end to load shedding. That's why ESCOM has been saying for the last three years, South Africa needs at least between 4,000 and 6,000 megawatts of new capacity. I have already told you where that capacity will come from.
0: We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. I would like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. So, Tersha, patently a lot of work is happening behind the scenes, as you've just heard Sikhanati outline. Is that giving you any comfort? Will it give investors the kind of comfort that they need?
2: Jeremy... It certainly could help to improve the outlook over the medium term. It's quite important for the grid to be stabilized, at least for us to move away from stage six. I do think, however, you know, this type of stage six load shedding has, you know, exposed so many of the challenges that's not dealt with constructively by government. And I think it shows the the relationship between the trade unions and the government and ESCOM and it also in other sectors of the economy. Also, you know, in terms of service delivery, it comes back to the lack of urgency, the political will, the lack of capacity. And that remains a long-term constraint on growth, which means our potential G GDP is not going to grow faster than the 1% or so where it is now. So I think the concern remains that confidence is, aside from, you know, a little bit of an upward blip here and there, we're not going to see a structural change. It actually goes beyond the electricity story, and Sigurnati also touched on it, the respect for law and order. So there's many dynamics that is becoming more and more exposed.
0: Tush, I'm also assuming then that you've done some bigger calculations in terms of the impact of the current crisis on GDP growth.
2: Yes, Jeremy. You know the interesting development has been we revised our GDP growth forecast for 22 higher after the surprise outcome of first quarter GDP. So we went from about 1.8 percent to around about 2.3, 2.4 percent. But this type of load shedding with the second quarter already likely to contract. Right? We have revised our outlook for this year down to about 1.9 percent. We must look at a growth forecast of sub two percent, which speaks to that this economy remains, you know, mired in a low growth trap.
0: What sectors, Tertia, of the economy are you particularly worried about? What is
2: most vulnerable? So there's a number of sectors. The big ones are the energy intensive sectors such as mining and manufacturing. We have seen that mining production has not yet returned to pre-COVID levels. Manufacturing production had a very good bounce in the first quarter of this year, but that was still part of the process of the recovery unfolding after the July looting. So there will be major challenges. Obviously, you know, transport sectors are affected. And then you know, the the small and be medium sized enterprises, there are cash flow challenges. Many of the little businesses don't have access to backup power to finance. So it's a major setback, especially when you look at the small business sector, is earmarked to be the biggest creator of jobs. So at the margin it's it's very difficult to see any constructiveness flowing mm. out of this.
0: And internationally the ratings agencies will take no prisoner here.
2: Absolutely. And the very sad thing is, you know, in the in April, both Moody's and S&P changed our outlooks from negative to stable. S&P even changed it to positive, right? So now it's going to be very much hold and see in terms of how it's playing out on South Africa's GDP growth forecast because, you know, risks for another round of downward revisions have increased. And then the second point is how will all of this impact government tax Revenues. government is in the midst of public sector wage negotiations, just looking at, you know, is Eskom now like a proxy for the rest of the public sector? Yes, government has been very comfortable that we're looking at an overrun in revenue receipts. But again, to what extent will your economy start moderating, which can impact this projected forecast of an overrun combined with a potential well above target expenditure?
0: We also need to possibly, uh, Bernard, be uh, casting our eyes offshore. My understanding is you've just returned from the Africa Energy Summit. It focuses on broader solutions to the continent's power challenges. Is there anything there that we can learn, that ESCOM can learn, that government can learn from?
3: Yeah, I think there's a clear appetite for investing in South Africa, the reprogram being, uh, you you know, the flagship project in South Africa. And what we're seeing is that REAP6 It's being bid in August, REAP7 is following shortly after that. We've got a three gigawatt gas program that's set to be released, uh, I'm being told, in November 2022, gas obviously being a very important transitional fuel for us. And current estimates are showing that we need to decommission about uh, 22 gigawatts of coal by 2035. And that means that we need, as a country, between five and six gigawatts of renewables every year. So there's this alertness. And I think, you know, from a government perspective, if we can continue rolling out these renewable energy programs and the gas program with that, I think that, uh, you know, there's definitely appetite from international investors to support and fund these projects on an IPP basis.
0: Bernard, the other issue, obviously, is to accelerate the process when it comes to the number of rounds that we have for bidding for independent power generation. Where do we sit right now? And ideally, where should we be?
3: Jeremy, I think we're sitting at in a position where we're bidding one, if we're lucky, maybe two rounds of renewable energy procurement processes every year. What we think is that there needs to be more consistency around that. I think we need to bid about two to three every year consistently with the market and everyone downstream from that, anticipating that and gearing up towards it that will really support the underlying economy and drive the local content agenda.
0: Let me ask you this question. Desperate times obviously call for desperate measures and some bigger South African companies and particularly those that are energy intensive in terms of use are taking matters into their own hands.
3: That's correct, Jeremy. What we're seeing is that a lot of the um, energy intensive users, predominantly in the mining sector, are procuring power and have issued requests for proposals from independent power producers. You know, you're seeing the likes of Harmony coming out with three times 10 megawatts, which I think closed about two or three weeks ago. Tronox is looking at two times 100 megawatts. Cecil Air Liquide is looking to procure up to 900 megawatts. And Sabanya Stillwater, 175 megawatts. So there's a clear interest from, you know, know, especially the mining sector, to procure power from independent power producers.
0: Sukunati, this podcast, and I'll give the final word to you, this podcast is principally aimed at the business and investment community. What do you want to tell them in this winter of discontent?
1: Jeremy, thank you for that opportunity. I would like for the business people of South Africa who are responsible for the taxes that keep this country going and certainly keep ESCOM going to play a a really more active role in policy and infrastructure space. And that starts by demanding answers from the correct people in the government as to where is the infrastructure that is required to keep the country going. Where is the electricity that is required to keep this country going? Where is the rule of law? If you could have a whole country held to ransom for the benefit of some 28,000, 29,000 Eskom employees who are in the, big, in the bargaining forum, where is the law? Where is the bigger interest? Then we would be able to move this country forward in the right direction. We are able to honestly have those conversations and hold the people to account. And of course, the business community pays the taxes that keep this country running. It should be listened to, should be able to demand answers. It should be able to really put programs in place. It should be able to force the government to do the things that normal governments should
0: do. Sikunati Mantancha, Tertia Jacobs and Bernard Heldenhase. thank you for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again on the 20th of July as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscriber button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Mags, and the entire Focus Radio team. As always, thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term
1: insurer.